This one, Cora. What is it that nobody tells you about adult life? I like it too, but it's like a standard Quora question. Yeah. Like, but there's, but there's. I don't look answers. at Quora so much anymore. Do you? I do. Yeah, I look at it every day. You do? Yeah. Really? Why? You know, it's good writing prompts, actually, Quora. Yeah. yeah. It's a good, good way to get the juices flowing. Seems like it must just be because of what I've been selected into, because of my preferences or previous clicks, whatever. So all the questions you see are about soccer. No, uh, no, I would like this that. Is so boring. They're I all can't about even airline. Tra- they're all about airline travel. What's oh. the weirdest thing you've ever seen as a flight attendant? What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen as a pilot? Have well, you ever had sex with a pilot in the restroom? Well, that- what is the weirdest scene you've ever seen as an, a, a flight attendant? It's certainly something I wish I knew about adult life. So <laughs> the, perhaps the answers overlap mm, a little bit. Perhaps they do. So what is, the question is, what is the thing that people, that you what, wish- what is that nobody tells you about adult life? So uh, assume the question's coming from like an 18-year-old and they're about to be, go out onto adulthood. What, what, what do you, what would you tell them about adult life that you wish you had known when you were 18 that nobody had told you? I really like the question a lot because I, st- I want to know it. Yeah. I want to know the answer. Not that I have the answer, but I want to know the you answer. You have some answers. You're How do you a know? wise person. You think? Yeah. Let's you wrote, just be you, the you glasses, wrote a, you wrote a best-selling book called Freakonomics, which mm-hmm. is about wisdom. Makes me wise. Yes. Num- well, number two on the bestseller list for ninety weeks in a row. No, that's not quite right. But you're the man who says there are no facts in the world. So that's that's that's. But there good are for rankings. You, you can say anything. There are rankings. I'm thinking of a lot of things. Just think of one thing. Say one thing, and I'll say one thing. The, well, the one thing, the first thing I thought of that I don't like the answer because it's too cynical, but. The thing that I wish that people had told me, so I had a very, um, I remember uh, there was a guy I went to graduate school with um, who I didn't know that well, but I liked him. Really bright guy, interesting guy, went on to do interesting things. Stephen Hawking? No. And he wrote to me years afterwards, like five or seven or eight years afterwards. And I, I don't know why, but he was writing about his impressions of me at the time. And he said, you seemed like just such a, like a, a nice, happy, uncomplicated person. Why did he write that? Just out of the blue, you got well, this letter? It had to was do it a handwritten the, letter? It had to do with the fact that I'd written something in that intervening five years that was a little bit more complicated. I think that's what it was, right? Okay. But anyway, um, his, his assessment of me was I just seemed like, you know, a nice, you know, kind of assume the best about most people in most scenarios. And the fact is I was like that. Um, I was and remain fairly optimistic, generally. I was and remain fairly expecting, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt when you meet them and so on. But I hate to say it, the evidence would seem to argue that you can't really assume the best in people or the best in situations. And that, I mean, this is hard. I'm saying this is someone who's living in, in New York City, Western Hemisphere, the year 2016. So obviously different times and different places are very different. But I do feel that a lot of the people that I'm around on a daily basis, people, you know, especially the people I don't know well, um, you know, they are, their level of self-interest is um, higher than I wish it were. And well, Okay, that's a great point. So, so essentially your point is people are mostly self-interested, which, which is sort of obvious as an adult, it's but not very, so obvious it, but as you know, a 15-year-old. 
You're right. It is obvious as an adult, maybe not obvious to some 15-year-olds, but it's still not even obvious to me all the time because I still have this naive uh, hope, you know, but, but desire it, to believe that that's the case. But it's not a bad thing. Like, for instance, let's say you're mostly self-interested and I'm mostly self-interested. doesn't mean we're not going to be friends. We're self-interested about being friends. We're self-interested about putting together a good product here. So it doesn't necessarily make, mean you have bad intent. Totally agree with you. And in the intervening years, I've, you know, become sort of a student of economics and come to really believe in at least big chunks of what people like Adam Smith have written, which is that without self-interest, none of us would be anywhere. You know, there's the famous Adam Smith quote about, you know— Invisible hand. Well, there's the invisible hand, right? And his quote about, you know, it's not the butcher and the baker. You know, they're not not just baking bread and cutting meat just for the sake of their soul— that's how the world works. But if you have something or provide something that is of value to other people, then, you know, this whole cooperative adventure that we call whatever, society, capitalism, et cetera, can really work. And I totally, totally embrace that with limits, obviously. And yet, I still um, am constantly being disappointed in people because I expect a level of kind of, I don't know, mutual something or other that that I don't see that much. Maybe, look, I have a maybe, solution for you. maybe I'm hanging out with the wrong people or maybe You're I... You're hanging out with me. What are you talking about? <laughs> or maybe I'm a much worse, maybe I'm a much less, you know, collaborative, mutual oriented. Maybe I'm a real rat bastard and I just don't want to admit it. And I see that in others because I'm seeing it through what I really think about myself. Maybe that's what a shrink would say. Well, I think you do have a high bar of quality on your work, which is fine. So I don't even mean about quality, like, you know, when I say disappointed in people, I, I don't even, I wasn't even talking about like professional competence. Well, I have a solution for you. So I would say, I love it. You have a solution. No matter what I'm talking about, you have a solution. Well, well, I just use this formula okay. for, for this specific problem. Should I write problem. it down? Yes. Happiness H equals reality R divided by expectations. Mm, I like that. So reality I, is very hard to change. You can change it a little bit here and there. Did you, you didn't make up this formula, did you? No, I, I I did, but I've written about it before. So so H equals R over E. Yeah. So reality, you can't change too much. Like you, like if you're two hundred pounds. Okay, you could change it a little bit each day and over time and so on. But expectations, you could change extremely quickly. Like, okay, I don't expect to be 100 pounds. Uh, oh, no, I don't ex- yeah, I'm fine being 198 pounds. So, so, you know, you could change your expectations instantly and make them lower, and suddenly you're happier. If you can truly change your expectations, you're going to be a happier person. And so- by the way, all the time working to change your reality but at least you could change your expectations right away to increase your happiness. But wouldn't that invoke some moral hazard? If you lower your expectations or change your expectations, where's your incentive go to change reality? Um, you can have both. It doesn't have to change incentives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just you could you could change your expectations with reality as well. I'm going to take a minute to think while Stephen reads this word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Today's sponsor is Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash question and using the code question at checkout. Listen, you spend about a third of your life sleeping, if you're lucky. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. 
Casper brings together two comfy technologies for better nights and brighter days, latex foam and memory foam. So they've got just the right sink, just the right bounce, no matter how you sleep. Casper also has a risk-free trial and return policy. They'll deliver it straight to you. You can sleep on it for 100 days, and if you're not happy, they'll pick it back up. At a typical mattress store, you only get a few minutes to try out a mattress. And frankly, who wants to lie down on a mattress for a long time at a mattress store? With Casper, you actually get to sleep on it. Prices are $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages for this level of quality, that is an outstanding price point. So get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to Casper, that's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash question, Casper dot com slash question, and use the code question at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I like that equation, and I do know that the there's a lot of literature that says that, that happiness and expectations really are I'll, I'll tell you why everything. I think, I'll tell you why I think, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm always interrupting. Sorry, and I love your interruptions. <laughs> I'll tell you why I— And they I, do meet my expectations. I, 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 they also fulfill the reality. Right, exactly. And of they my make own me self-interest. Happy. My so own you're self-interest. proving every portion of the, the equation. Thanks, James. You know, the question I was thinking of asking— I'm just going to take a nap now while you go. I, yeah. The question I was thinking of asking instead of this question shows that our expectations as a society are— are too high. So someone wrote another question, which is, I'm 24. How can right, I... Right there. Right there. You can tell their expectations are unrealistic. Well, well, because the follow-up question is, how can no, I... No, I can tell. You know how? How? Because they're going to assume that they have many, many, many years left. That's true. How do we know? So, so but he says, I'm 24. How can I turn my life out of mediocrity and unhappiness? So all the... Right, I saw this question. So, so right away, they, they're thinking that somehow they're entitled at the age of 24 to have this brilliant, great, exciting life. That's interesting you go to entitled because I go to... Uh, it could be that they're depressed too. Dis- yeah, disappointed but that it both. hasn't happened by now. Yeah, right. There's this whole disappointment that it hasn't also, happened by now. Also, to use the word mediocrity about yourself. At the age of 24 too, when you haven't even had time really to get great at something. All right, sorry, what was the rest of the question? I'm 24. How can I turn my life out of, which doesn't make sense, but how can I turn my life out of mediocrity so and ridicule unhappiness? their sentence construction. And, it, and it, this is already a person who's feeling bad about themselves for feeling mediocre. Right, but I'm just saying you're that— You're putting air quotes around their plea for help. Right, because, again, clearly this is a person who hasn't even taken the first steps out of the cradle and can't even spell the question correctly— and uh, you're a harsh master. Is expe- but no, I'm saying their expectations are too high. The answer to this person is the answer to the, is the same thing as your solution, which is get the expectations really low first, and then you can suddenly have an opportunity to change your reality, be happier, and so on. I love the way you put it, but I just wonder for someone who's not measuring like coming into adulthood as necessarily, you know, getting over the disappointment of things that haven't happened yet? Because I don't think most people look at it like that. Do you? Oh, my God. I see. There's so many questions. That's because you spend too much time on stupid websites. No, but I, the emails I get, too. You They're spend all... too many t- too much time reading emails. Uh, maybe. You're hearing, like, the noisy, you're hearing, like, the noisy half a percent of the com- of the complaining nation. I don't believe, I and don't I'm not believe saying that. That's... I don't believe it's a half a percent. I believe it's well, 50%. 
I believe it's 90%. Based <laughs> I believe it's 150%. I, I think there's extra credit on the nation with and this one. When there are no facts, you can go from 1% to 150%. There's 700 just like million that. people in the U.S. who feel this way. <laughs> so, okay, so, so you're saying one of the things you wish you had learned, let's just get it back to the question. One of the things you wish you had learned. Was there a question? Uh, yeah, as an, uh, uh, when you were a young person, what you'd wish someone had told you as an adult was that um, most people are self interested. Yeah, that's not even the way I would want to put it, but I can't think of the better way to put it. I, I don't want to say that most people are, you know, not what they seem or most people are, you know, it's one of the good things and bad things about having learned a lot about economics in the past bunch of years I've been writing about it is that I really have come to believe in and understand how people respond to incentives. It's like when I first read that, economists write that all the time. They've been writing that, about that for half a century, maybe longer. Human beings respond to incentives, and therefore, economics is really the study of incentives. And I read it, and I think, well, duh. Like, who doesn't know that? But then you realize it, it is a little deeper than that, especially because incentives come in many different flavors, right? There's financial, but then there are other kinds of incentives. And also, there are positive and negative incentives, right? So I realize there, there's a lot of interesting modulation in there. But even so, I think that I wanted to believe and still want to believe that a lot of people respond not purely to incentives, but they respond to what their uh, internal philosophy that's built up over many years of interacting with family and society and so on tells them is kind of the most um, the most optimal way to respond to a scenario. In other words, here's how I think the person that I want to be would respond to this scenario as opposed to here's how the person who wants to maximize their moment or their transaction would respond. And I, and, I, and I wish that I perhaps and more of us were in the former camp, but I fear or believe that more of us are in the latter camp. And that, that's, been, that's what I would want to tell someone is be aware of that and be prepared for that. And then if you belong to the former camp, if, you're the, if you belong to the camp that says, you know, I want to be the kind of person I want to be and respond and, and and live like that in all situations, then maybe you'll get pleasantly surprised once in a while if it goes like that. But at least you won't get disappointed too much if it goes the other way. And I think, again, happiness equals reality over expectations. So you keep your expectations low, keep your own personal reality as, as good as you can be, and you're going you're gonna to perform well in life as an adult. Now, I do think there's enough answers to We answered one possibility to this question. I think we should go to a part two for this. Unless you don't want to. My expectations are low on that. James and I have many more questions to ponder. We're going to tell you what we'll be talking about next time. But first... Cry, baby, cry. Hi, I'm Sarah Thayer. And I'm Susan Orlean. And nothing makes us happier than hearing what makes people cry. On our show, Crybabies, we talk to comedians, musicians, writers, and other awesome people about what makes them cry. And sometimes we cry too. But it's the good kind of crying. Yeah. Therapeutic. Yeah. Like when Drew Drogi told us why he loves Dead Poets Society. When it came out, I, I loved English. I wanted to be an English teacher. I was obsessed with that whole world. And I boys boarding school. I thought that just looked so amazing. Also, like, Robert Sean Leonard was, like, an actor. And, you know, and I just thought that was such a, that's such a fabulous thing to be. So listen to Crybabies. Find us on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. 
Here's what we have lined up for the next episode of Question of the Day. Previously on Question of the Day, you asked me, what is one thing about adult life that you wish you had known coming in? Well, um, let's hear your better, shorter-winded answer. What's something that you really wish you'd known about adult life that you didn't and that you would tell other people now? <laughs>